Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3, starting here in verse 12. Paul is saying something to the church of Philippi at this particular time, and this is what he's saying. Not that I've already obtained. You know, one of the things that concerns me sometimes with a faith message is that sometimes people get in denial instead of staying in faith. Denial, I mean, you know, you, you don't deny there are things that you have to overcome. You know, you don't say, you know, if you're challenged with something physically or you have a sickness in your body, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. You know, you don't deny that there's corruption in the world, that there's sin in the world, because there is. But what you do is you take the Word of God and you apply the Word of God in your life and you begin to speak the Word of God and believe that that Word's going to change your circumstances. Now, that's what faith is. Faith doesn't deny, but faith denies that situation to have power over you. You can always overcome. The Bible says we are more than overcomers in this life. And so Paul's not denying anything. He's not saying, well, you know, I'm perfect. I've got Christ in my life. I've never done anything wrong. No, he's saying, I haven't, I'm not, I'm not there yet. How many of you would say that in your Christian walk with God, you're not there yet? All right, most of you. I'll have an altar call for the rest of you after service here. Because I know I fit in this category. I'm not there yet, but I have flesh, I have emotions, I have uh, other things going on inside of me that, that God's still redeeming. He has, redumped, he has redeemed it spiritually, but he's still redeeming these things in my own life. He's doing a work, he's perfecting me, and the Word of God is what's perfecting me. So he said, I haven't already attained or am already perfect, but I do press on that I may lay hold of. What's he doing? He's pressing on. How's he going to lay hold of? By pressing on. In order for you to lay hold of, you got to press on. you got to realize that there is more. Tell your neighbor there is more. There's more that God has for you. God has so much more for you that I may lay hold of that which Christ also has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend it, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. I really believe that Paul put this in here for the benefit of letting us know that, you know, one of the keys for us to press on is not to focus on where we're not good enough. Not to focus on where we're not good enough. God made you good enough. That's why I love Isaiah 54, 17, because it says, no weapons formed against me. One of the greatest weapons formed against us is accusations against the devil. No weapons formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against me. What's a tongue? It's a word. Every negative word or every negative thought that rises up against me, I shall condemn. And the word condemn means prove it wrong. I shall prove it wrong, for this is my heritage as servants of God, and the righteousnesses of me. That's my favorite part of the scripture right there. They're righteousnesses of me. When the enemy comes, the devil comes and says, well, who do you think you are? Go take it up with God. You know, take it up with God. I just want to remind you, devil, that God did kick you out of heaven. I also want to remind you, he sent his son and went down to hell, and he kicked you out of hell too. And I want to let you know why he was on this earth. He stripped you of all your authority while he was here on this earth too. I just want to remind you that you have no power over me. For you've, he's given me all power of the power. Uh, he's given me all power over the power of the enemy, and by no means, say no means, shall anything harm 
me. He has no means or he has no ways. He has no techniques. He has no substance because he's been stripped of all the substance to be able to harm me with. So why are we so concerned about what the devil's going to do? We don't need to be dwelling on those things, but those are words that come against us. They either come against us because of something somebody said or their thoughts that we've had. And so Paul says, this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind me, and I press on to lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold for me. He said, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. That means that we need to be reaching towards getting to that place. And so in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, it says, Forget the former things, nor consider the things of old. For behold, I shall do a new thing, shall it not spring forth. How can it spring forth if we're all clouded up with the old things that have happened in our life, whether they're good or bad? This is one of the reasons why a lot of revivals, you know, get uh, a stalemate out is because people seem to think that once God begins to move, he has to move a certain way every service that way. You know, we need to let God out of the box. Hello, somebody. Well, maybe he's not in a box. Maybe we're in a box. Maybe it's our mindset that's in a box. Hello, somebody. Maybe we have this preconceived idea of how God ought to move, and God's saying, you know what? I've already done that once. I've got a new thing. I want to do, do a new thing. You know, I like God's new things, don't you? I want God to do a new thing. I want to see God do a new thing. You say, what do you think the next new thing will be? I don't know. It won't be new if I knew what it was. Amen. So what's the next new thing God's going to do? I don't know, but I want God to do a new thing, and I'm ready for God to do a new thing. You know, I don't care if he has to translate a bunch of sinners to the front door of this church to get them saved. God can do a new thing. I want God to do a new thing. How about you? I want to see people saved. Amen? And I just want to say this. I think the turning to Roe versus Wade is the beginning of the greatest revival America will ever have. I believe that. And I believe there's some other things that are going to start changing. I believe there's going to be some protesting. But I'm here to tell you that we are going to see in the latter days a separation of the kingdom of darkness from the kingdom of light. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Glory to God. Don't let it bother you. Keep on contending for your faith. Keep on believing God. Hallelujah. So Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things, nor consider the things of old. For behold, I shall do a new thing. And God wants to do a new thing in you, and God wants to do a new thing in me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Say old things. Uh, They're all passed away. Why are you bringing them up again? Old things have passed away. Say old things. I just rebuked you. Don't bring it up again. They've passed away. I'm, I'm teasing with you just a little bit. Old things have passed away. Let the old things go. You know, what can you do about yesterday? What can you do about what that person said about you two weeks ago? What can you do about that uh, Facebook post that was negative about you, you know, a month ago? What can you do about it anyway? Huh? Old things have passed away and all things become new. Isn't that wonderful? All things become new. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. That word new creature means you're in the original. You're just like Adam and Eve was before sin ever entered into the garden. Glory to God. Can you comprehend yourself that way? 
Can you comprehend yourself as walking into tremendous authority, you know, walking into that place of righteousness, walking into that place that everything is good between you and God and being able to receive all the blessings of God? Can you comprehend that? Well, this is what God wants us to do. That's why we need to let the Word of God do a washing or the renewing of our minds. Well, the next scripture I want to share with you is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to go, uh, I want to go there real quick and go through it with you because we need to really get hold of God wanting to do a new thing in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. He's talking about spiritual warfare here. We don't war according to the flesh. Well, how do we war, Paul? What do we, how are we supposed to war? How are we supposed to walk in this particular life that God's given us? The weapons of our warfare are not cardinal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What are strongholds? They're mindsets. Strongholds are mindsets. Particular, you know, mindsets of why we can't be what God wants us to be. Or mindsets of, you know, there are certain things going on in our lives. I'll never forget talking to one politician one time about abortion. He said this to me. He said, never in my lifetime will we ever see Roe versus Wade overturned. Yes, he is. He, he is a state congressman. Never in my lifetime. We don't need to waste our time on it. Well, I'm here to tell you that the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Amen. And I don't care how many of us prayed, enough of us prayed that we have seen God answer our prayers again. Don't give up on righteousness. Don't let that mindset, well, you know, this is just the way it is. These certain people that have, you know, the alphabet after their name, they got to have their rights. You know what? They can have their rights, but, you know, we don't have to take their ideology. Hello, somebody. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to have it in our public schools. We can have prayer back in our public schools. We can let the Bible be our standard. The church can make this, uh, uh, be the leading uh, standard of, uh, of our society again. Let me say again, because the church was at one time, and I believe the church is going to rise up and be the standard that our society is looking for. So our weapons are not, uh, are not carnal, but mining God for the pulling down of mindsets, uh, strongholds, casting down arguments, or what are arguments? Vain imaginations. You know what a vain imagination is? A vain imagination is something that is contrary to what God says can be. It's contrary to God's plan for your life. That's a vain imagination. Well, I'll never get well. That's a vain imagination. By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Amen? Well, I'll never prosper. Well, that's a vain imagination because God says, I will prosper. You know, if God needs to bring a three-legged dog to your house with a bag full of money, God can cause you to prosper. If God can put, God can put a gold mine in your backyard. Come on, somebody. Hello, God can do anything, but he wants you blessed. Don't get into that mindset, that vain imagination, you know, of this is the way it is and this is the way it'll always be because he's doing a new thing. How do you do that? By casting down the arguments. What are the greatest arguments in our lives? And that is, you know, where we're at. And it's a, it's a, it's a, the main argument in our lives is we compare ourselves and we're performance-oriented. 
Well, I'm not sure God's, I'm good enough for God to bless. I'm not sure I'm good enough for God to heal me. I'm not sure God's good enough to prosper me. I'm not sure I'm good enough for God to redeem me. You, you know what? You're not, and I'm not. But God loved you so much that he made the provision for you. He freely justified you, the Bible says. We always quote Romans 3.23, how we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 3.24 says that how he has freely justified. Don't stop in 23. Go on to Romans 3.24. He's freely, say freely. What that cost you? Nothing. Freely justified you. So if it doesn't cost you anything, but he's already made a provision, go ahead and receive it. Tell your neighbor, go ahead and receive it. So you've been justified. And this is the many of the strongholds that a lot of people struggle with. They struggle with, you know, their past. They struggle with, you know, I'm not good enough. They struggle with performance. But it's not by performance. It's by grace. It's by the grace of God, God's ability, God's plan for your life. Am I helping somebody this morning? Well, let me just help you a little more. Go to John chapter 14, verse 1. I've read over this many, many times. It was a few years ago that it hit me in a different light. In John 14, 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What did Jesus say? Let not your heart be troubled. Did Jesus say, you know, I'm just really praying that you get hold of this revelation and that you just don't really let your heart be troubled? No. It's almost like a command, isn't it? Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't allow things that are going on in this world or around you to trouble or to disturb or to cause doubt in your own heart. Let not your heart be troubled. And he taught us how. Believe God. Just trust God. Just really trust God. You know, I believe that one of the things that this pandemic did was it really tested a lot of people of whether they could trust God or not. You know, wasn't it amazing that it was essential for a Home Depot to be open, but the church couldn't be open? Oh, we could go to Walmart. Well, that's essential. Well, you know, I was just about tempted to have church at Walmart since it was open and the church wasn't. Hello, somebody. You know, my point is that, you know what, it tested our faith. It certainly tested my faith. And the way I walked through this was, you know what, I'm going to use wisdom for the first couple of weeks, and then I'm going to hear from God. And, you know, we were the first school to open up. Glory to God. We were one of the first churches that opened up. In fact, the news media called us up and said, hey, what are you going to do since, you know, we, we had contact. Actually, it was Peggy's idea. We had contacted the um, uh, health department and said, hey, we got some protocols for churches to open up. Are you interested? And they said, no. Don't know how the news media got hold of it, but they called me up and they said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, there's not a story here. We're not here to bring a problem. We're here to bring a solution. And shutting down the church was not the solution. Hello, somebody. And so we opened up. You know, and during that time, we had someone break in, and the sheriff department came out, and they were looking at some things. And so the deputy said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, are you open? I said, yes, sir, we are open. No need to lie about it. Well, you know, we're trying to. No, no, we're open. You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We're open. You know, and he said, well, what do you do if they come back and say, well, you need to close again? I said, well, you'll probably have to arrest me. He said, just let you know that the sheriff department said we will leave you alone. That's the favor of God. You know, 
Because, you know, when you are bold enough to believe God, other people, they'll get out of the way. It's just kind of like that bully in school, you know. As long as he can, you know, mess with you, tease you, you know, uh, 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 you know deal harshly with you, and you don't stand up for yourself, he will. I'll never forget one time I had a bully. Just, I mean, I was the third shortest guy on the basketball team my eighth grade year. I know that's hard to believe, but I was. And I got picked on a lot. My dad finally said, just take a swing back. And so I did, and it shocked that bully. Afterwards, we became friends because he found out I wasn't going to take it anymore. You know what? That's what we need to do is rise up and say, I'm not taking it anymore. I'm going to be what God says I can be. I'm going to do what God says I can, I can do. I'm going to go where God says I can go. I'm going to have what God says I can have. Amen? All for the glory of God. Hallelujah. But you know what? Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. That doesn't sound like, you know, a, a suggestion. He said, this is the life you need to live. You say, well, Pastor, you know, certain things have happened to me. Certain things have happened to me too, but I'm here to trust God, and I've watched God repay all of what the enemy has stolen from me. In fact, you know, the enemy went bankrupt restoring everything that, God, that he had to restore back to me. He said, I'll never do that again to that guy. I'll never mess with him again, amen? And I'm not saying he doesn't, but you know what? That's the attitude that we ought to have. Why? Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Let not your heart be troubled. If you trust God, your heart won't be troubled. In fact, to the same degree that you trust God, to the same degree your heart won't be troubled. And so I've been teaching on the God of a second chance, and not only does God want to give you a second chance, God wants to give you a chance every day of your life that you can be what he says you can be. Amen. That's his plan for your life. Well, when I think about the God of second chances, I think about Peter. Now, last week we talked about Gehazi, how Gehazi blew as a, as a servant with the prophet Elijah. But you know what? God gave him a second chance. He was one of the four men that was the gate of Samaria when there was a famine going on because of the Syrian army. And God used him not only to uh, deliver he and his family from famine, but the whole state of Samaria was delivered from famine. Because, you know what, he had a change of attitude. He had a change of heart. And God used Gehazi, you know, in the very end, and we can see that. Well, God is a God of a second chance, and we see that so many times. We see God use David. He gave David a second chance, and we've seen God do many other patriarchs of being a God of second chance. But I think this is one of my favorites, and that is Peter. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 34, Jesus was begin to tell him, hey, you're all going to be made to stumble. And I like the way he said this, made to stumble. You're going to be made to stumble. It's not going to, you're, you're going to be offended. The word stumble and offense, they kind of go hand in hand. You're going to be made to be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. And, Jesus, and Peter answered and said to him, even if we're all made to stumble because you, I will never, I will never be made to stumble. Don't you just love his heart? Not going to happen to me. But Jesus said, surely I say to you that this night, now this is a pretty strong word, this night to the guy who said, I'll never deny you. I'll never be made to stumble. He said, this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will den not deny you. And so said all the other disciples. 
And so you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story was that when Jesus was in the Praetorium, where he was being tried by Caiaphas, uh, uh, I'm not saying the name right. Anyway, the Caiaphas, it's just not coming out right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that guy, the high priest. Anyway, you know, in the court, and Peter was kind of hanging behind. This girl came up to him and said, aren't you one of him? He said, no, I'm not one of him. He denied him. And we know he denied him three times, and the rooster crow, and in one of the counts, it said Jesus looked at him. Boy, I can imagine the feeling that Peter had when Jesus looked at him. You know, I, I don't know what Peter felt. I bet he felt kind of small about that, about that particular time. You know, told you you're going to deny me. You know, I imagine he felt like so inadequate, felt like maybe he could never do anything for the Lord. Now, this is the same Peter who walked on the water earlier. This is the same Peter who, you know, uh, uh, walked with Jesus for three and a half years. This is the same Peter who cut off the servant of the high priest's ear and watched Jesus put it back together. <clears throat> same Peter. But yet, an emotion overtook him. And for some reason, he fell into that trap and he denied Jesus. And I imagine he thought, it is all over because of that. Go with me to John 20. And I'm just here to tell you, even if you've denied Jesus, Jesus is still there for you. Amen? Even in your Christian walk, if you've gotten upset and you've murmured and said, I don't know if I can believe this stuff anymore, you know what, if you've repented, you know what, he's forgiven you. Isn't that wonderful? So in, in, in John 20, Jesus said in verse 21, he came to the disciples and he said, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. All right, so how did God send Jesus? Did he send him powerless or powerful? Powerful. As the Father sent me, I'm also sending you. I'm equipping you. I'm sending you out to do the same words. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the key right there. The key to seeing the power of God is receiving the Holy Spirit of God. And he went on to say, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. Therefore, um, if, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so anyway, he began to share with them the love of God. A little later on, Peter decided that, you know, nothing wasn't happening. And so he decided to go fishing. And while they're fishing here in, verse, uh, in chapter 21, verse 4, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you caught any food? You know, that's not an unusual question. You know, I've gone out fishing, been at boat docks. Hey, did you catch anything? How'd you guys do? You know, where are the fish biting when we're going out? You know, sometimes we try to help each other out unless it's a tournament. If it's a tournament, no one tells anybody where the fish are biting. No, they're not biting today. Don't even try, you know. But anyway, and, and, but, but uh, no, um, we, we help each other out where they're biting on, where they're hitting on. You know, and all the fishermen share their stories. And so Jesus, he's, he's on the shore. They didn't recognize him at first. Hey, have you caught anything? And they said, no. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and they were not, not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now, that's a big catch, isn't it? I mean, that's a huge catch. I mean, that one catch, you know, went over their quota, just one catch. I'm here to tell you that when you go fishing with Jesus, you can always get your quota and more. Hello, somebody. So anyway, so they, they, they brought the fish, and so Peter recognized it was Jesus. He jumped in. And so anyway, when he got to the shore, guess what was there? 
a fire. Well, do you remember the last account where Peter was and there was a fire? He was where? He denied Jesus, didn't he? Did you ever wonder that maybe this fire had a deja vu effect on him? Had a, a place of, of association with him where he thought, you know, the last time I was at a fire and Jesus was around, I denied him. Do you think that Peter began to wonder, you know, how's the Lord really going to treat me since I've denied him? Do I still have a plan? Does he still love me? Does, does he still want me to do great works for him? You know, that fire reminded him of his last mistake. But you know what? Jesus is the one who wrote Isaiah 43, 18 that says, uh, forget the former things nor consider the things of old. Isn't he one that wrote that? Absolutely he wrote that. He is the word. He wrote the word. He's the one who told us, forget the former things, nor, nor consider the things of old. For behold, I do a new thing in you, shall you not know it? So Jesus was trying to use Peter and show us as an example, hey, Peter, I've got something new for you. So he asked Peter, he said, do you love me? Well, when, Pete, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me the first time, he said, you know, Peter, do you have that kind of love you're willing to lay your life down for me? The agape love? I mean, God's love is a love that's willing to lay his life down for you, isn't it? Do you have the agape love? And Peter said, well, Lord, you know all things. I have the phileo love for you. And that's exactly how Peter answered that. And I wish it was retranslated in the word of God that we get a better understanding than this. But, you know, Peter was being honest. You know, he was not denying where he was at. Hello, somebody. You don't have to deny where you're at. You just don't have to stay where you're at. You know, and he's, say, and he's saying, you know what, I don't, I, I, I don't have that kind of love, Jesus. You know all things. I don't have that kind of love. And Jesus gave him an assignment, and he went and said to him, he said, uh, feed my lambs, okay, which is the young converts, okay? So that's assignment number one, disciple the young converts, okay? And he said to him second time, do you love me? Same word, they're agape. Do you have the kind of life you're willing to lay your life down for me? And Peter says, yes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, but he used the word phileo again. He says, you know I have a phileo love for you, Lord. I don't have that agape love. This is where I'm at. You know what Jesus said? He said, I don't care where you're at. I still have an assignment for you. I don't care where you've been. I still have an assignment for you. I don't care what you've done. I still have an assignment for you. I don't care what you think you've done that has blown my plan for your life. You know, my plan for your life is yes and amen. amen. I've given you a purpose without repentance. I'm not going to repent for my plan for your life. If you don't repent of it, I won't repent of it. My plan is perfect. My plan is, is for you. I still see you the way I created you to be. I still desire for you to fulfill all the things I've called you to do just for you. Well, I'm getting a little too old. No, you're not. You know, and even if you are, he'll renew your strength. Come on. I mean, he calls Elijah to outrun the chariot of Ahab. Come on, somebody. Help me preach this message, will you? God can do that. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings as eagles. They shall uh, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, I mean, you know, if, if God has to energize you to be like one of the superheroes that we see in Marvel Comics, he can do that. You really missed it that time. I don't talk about Marvel Comics that much, but I'm just here to tell you, if God needs to supercharge you, he'll supercharge you to do his will. He's a God who can accelerate you back to the plans that he's always had for your life. You know, there's no man that can stop God's plan for your life. 
I'm here to tell you there's no man that can stop God's plan for your life. It may be temporary, but God can accelerate it and get you exactly where he wants you to be when he wants you to be there. And so he went on to say, he, he went on to say, tend my sheep. So feed my lambs, tend my sheep. In other words, let's, let's take care of those who, you know, are, uh, are, you know, been serving the Lord for a while. But then the third time, this is so interesting. Most people don't know this. Jesus finally broke it down and said, okay, Peter, do you have the phileo love for me? You know, and some, and of course, scriptures say he was grieved because he asked him the third time. Well, was it because of the third time or was it because he kind of, you know, met Peter where he was at? Yes, this is what I've been trying to tell you, Lord. This is where I'm at. You know all things. You know I denied you. I'm not willing to say, hey, I'm going to die for you someday. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not there yet. I only have a filet of love for you. And so uh, Jesus went on and said to him, you know, feed my sheep. But this is what's so interesting. He said, most assuredly, I say, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. You know what he's really saying to Peter? He said, you know, you just did things in your own strength. You did things in your own strength. You went where you wished to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. In other words, Jesus was prophesying, you know what, Peter, you know, your faith is going to grow to such a place that you will die for me. And historians tell us that Jesus, I mean, Peter was crucified, but he chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was crucified. And so what, are, what is the story about Peter? The story about Peter is this. God is a God of a second chance. And, in, and isn't it interesting that in, in chapter 20, 21, the very first thing Jesus said, he said, whosoever sins you forgive are forgiven. You know what God's telling me? He's telling me, you know what, listen, you need to be willing to give other people a second chance too. Amen. Amen. You need to be able to forgive. Now, forgive and, for, and forget is two different things, you know. You're not going to allow somebody who hasn't had a change of heart into a position to abuse you or hurt you again. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about letting them go so that you can move on. Not letting what has happened to you in the past because of somebody else's decision hinder you from receiving your future. And that's why Jesus said, whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. In other words, you let it go. In Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus said, have faith in God. When he said, have faith in God, he said, you know, receive God's kind of faith. When you were born again, you receive God's kind of faith. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, shall not doubt in his heart. He shall have those things which he's saying. You know, and so therefore when you pray, believe that you have received what you're praying. Believe those things which you've been saying. You know, but have faith of God. Well, did God create the world with his words? Well, then let your words begin to create your world. Have faith in God. You're going through a trying time. Begin to speak to that thing and say, you know what? I command you by the name and the power and the blood of Jesus Christ to be turned around. I'm not putting up with this lack. I'm not putting up with this sickness. I'm not putting up with this disease. I'm not putting up with this, you know, uh, unnecessary climate that's going on in my work environment. You go. God assigned me here to be a light. And I'm going to let my light shine in a dark place. You're not running me off, devil. I'm running you off. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But then he went on to say, and when you pray, be sure you forgive. 
He said, he said, because if you don't, how can your heavenly Father forgive you? Well, what I found out in my particular life is that, you know, anytime I've held on to resentment, I find it hard for God to, for me to receive from God. Let me say that one more time. Anytime that I've held on to resentment, I find it hard to be able to receive from God. You know, and I, so I really believe what Jesus is saying. It's going to be hard for you to receive your forgiveness if you have unforgiveness towards somebody else. You need to let it go. If you have resentment in your heart. I heard the other day that, or no, I read an article the other day about resentment and it said the moment that you allow resentment in your life, it allows sickness begin to manifest in your life. The moment. The moment. I thought, oh, come on. Boy, this article had all kinds of facts, medical facts and scientific knowledge about the moment you release resentment in your heart or keep resentment in your heart, it's, it releases illness to begin to work in your life. And I'm not saying if you're sick, it's because you have resentment. I'm just saying what happens a lot of times is that we begin to hold on to the past things and we still have resentment in our hearts so deep that we don't realize it. You know, let me just ask you to think about the worst person in the world. Would you feed them if they were starving? Hello, somebody. Sounds good in church, but would you really? You know, I struggle with these things just like everybody else. You know, but nevertheless, God wants us to forgive. And that's why he said, you know, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And then he went on and he manifested himself and said, Peter, listen, I want to give you a second chance. So God wants us to experience a second chance. God wants us to be accepted, but a lot of acceptance comes to the same degree that we are able to accept other people. And this is what the world's looking for. I'm here to tell you that there are going to be people who are vile people today, but they're going to be on fire for God tomorrow, and we're going to have to accept them. You know, and I, and I just want to encourage you, let's not, let's not hear their testimony of what they used to do too much. You know, Listen, I love testimonies. You know, yeah, you know, somebody says I used to be a, 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 a drug dealer and this and this and this and this, but God saved me. Well, that's wonderful. I don't want to know what God did and or what you used to do for the devil in the past. I want to know what God's doing for you in the future. Amen. That's what we need to dwell on. You know, God turned my life around. He turned your life around. He turned my life around. You know, in the eyes of God, sin is sin. There's no greater sin. There's no lesser of a sin. Hello, somebody. There might be greater consequences of certain sins, but there's no greater sin, no lesser sin. Sin separates you from God, and we all need salvation. Amen. And we need to let our sin pass, our sin consciousness go. You know, sometimes I'll hear somebody laugh and say, yeah, my B.C. days. You know what? I'm ashamed of my B.C. days before Christ, before I knew Christ. You know, I was maybe a decent person in some people's eyes, but you know what? Really, you know, my life was wretched. It wasn't pleasing to the Lord. You know, why would I ever want to bring that up again? That old man's buried. The Bible says that when you're baptized with Christ, you're buried, and you're, when you're raised up uh, in baptism, you're a new creature. Why do, want to, why do I want to go to that old grave of Tom Luther and dig him back up? In fact, the truth is I haven't dwelled on the way I used to be that there are probably things that I did that I don't even remember anymore. In fact, there are things I've done for God that I don't even remember anymore. I got a text the other day from a dear friend of ours from many, many years ago. It was his birthday, and I wished him a happy birthday. We were down in Fort Worth, and they're from Fort Worth. And he reminded me of a word I gave him. And it was a warning. Hey, this is a warning. 
And he said, I sure wish I would have listened to you. <laughs> you know, and I had to say, I don't even remember giving you that word. I don't even remember that conversation. Well, if I can forget the good things that God's done in my life, how much more can I forget the bad things that I've done in my life? Hello, somebody. God will cause you to forget. God wants you to forget. Why? Because he's doing a new thing in your life. He wants to do a new thing in your life. And, you know, this is how we become the salt of the earth. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if it loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? How, do we, how does salt lose its flavor? Well, the truth is, if you study salt, you'll find out that as soon as salt touches the earth, it begins to lose its, its flavor. It begins to lose its potency. Well, this is what happens when we are connected to the things of the world. We begin to lose our power. We begin to lose our Christian flavor, who we are. It goes on and says that we're here to be a light. We're not to let us, we're not to be hid under a basket. And I just want to encourage you that you're a light wherever you go, whether you say anything or not. Why? Because you carry the light with you. You'd be surprised. You may not feel like anything's going on, but something's going on when you show up because you're like, so you don't need to stay home. You don't need to stay in a church behind four doors and say, I'm a Christian, but I'm a closet Christian. No, it's time for us to come out and be the light to the world because that's what the world is looking for. And in order to be good salt and a good light, we're going to have to be people of the second chances. Jesus went on to say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, this is somebody who's talking about giving you a second chance. Love your enemies. Is that the God of a second chance? Bless those who persecute you. Is that a God of a second chance? Do good to those who hate you. Is that a God of a second chance? Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Is that the God of a second chance? Oh, it's getting quiet in this Pentecostal church. Why? That you may be the sons or the manifestation of you being a son will manifest in the lives of, of others. What a great testimony when you don't hold something against somebody who knows they should, that you should hold something against them. What a great testimony. Well, aren't you mad at me? No, I let it go. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> well, aren't you upset? No, I'm not upset. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't do you right. That's fine. You know, I let it go. Move on. You know, I hope that, you know, I hope that you repented before God because I've let this thing go and I've moved on. Why? Because he's the God of a second chance. That's what the world's going to need in this next revival. They're going to need to know that he is the God of the second chance. Well, in the book of Genesis, God gave Adam and Eve a second chance after they ate of the knowledge of good and evil, didn't he? In uh, Cain, he gave Cain a second chance after he killed Abel. Noah, he gave mankind a second chance, you know, and, and gave him uh, the chance to start all over. Abraham, he gave a second chance after he conceived Ishmael and still brought forth the promised child, Isaac. Joseph, he gave a second chance after he was thrown into the, uh, into the pit. And Joseph went from the pit, you know, to the palace. Joseph gave his brothers a second chance. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. In Exodus, the children of Israel multitude second chances after they made a golden calf. He is the God of the second chance. In Leviticus, he provided a second chance for unintentional sin with an unintentional sin offering. Why? Because he is the God of a second chance. In Numbers, he provided a city of refuge for unintentional killings. Why? Because he is the God of a second chance. In Deuteronomy, he provided a second chance of repentance because he is the God of the second chance. 
In the book of Joshua, God gave him a second chance after Achan took the accursed thing. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. And in the book of Judges, God gave Samson the second chance, Gideon the second chance, Jephthah the second chance. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. In the, in the book of Ruth, God gave Ruth a second chance. In First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, God gave King David a second chance after he committed adultery. In First Kings chapter 17, he gave the widow woman of Zarephath and Elijah a second chance after the brook of Cherith dried up. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. In First Kings 17 and 18, God gave the children of Israel a second chance when Elijah challenged the uh, and supernaturally defeated uh, the Baal priest and answered with fire. Why? Because he is the God of a second chance. In Second Kings chapter 4, he gave the widow woman in debt a second chance when Elijah told her to borrow vessels from everyone and fill them up and supernatural flow of oil came and proceeds to get her out of debt. Why? Because he is the God of a second chance. In 2 Kings chapter 4, he gave the Shunammite woman a second chance when he raised her son up from the dead. Why? Because he's the God of a second chance. Boy, I thought you guys would be shouting by now. Anyway, 2 Kings, God gave Gehazi a second chance uh, by causing him to walk into the enemy's camp and delivering Israel or Samaria for the glory of God because he is the God of the second chance. In Ezariah and Nehemiah, God allowed them to rebuild Jerusalem because he is the God of the second chance. In Esther, God saved the Jewish people from Haman's evil plot. Why? Because he is the God of a second chance. In Job chapter 42, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before because he is the God of the second chance. In Psalms 34, 19, many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. In Isaiah, for the former things God has in Isaiah, it says, forget the former things, for God's doing a new thing. Why? Because he is the God of a second chance. In Ezekiel, he'll make the dry bones live. He is the God of the second chance. In Daniel, he'll restore the kingdom. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. In Hosea, he'll, restore, he'll receive the adulterous generation. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. In Joel, he'll restore the swarming locusts, and you shall eat in plenty. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. In the book of Romans, he will repay all that's been stolen. Why? Because he is the God of the second chance. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.